0: Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information.
1: So today we are finishing a longer series on the character of Joseph, but before we get into that, I just want to turn our attention to one thing. Next, next Sunday is the start of Advent together. Now Christmas is a big part of what we do here at Commons, and a big part of that is our annual Christmas Advent campaign. Because every year, we try to take some of the generosity encouraged by the Christmas story and point that away from ourselves and towards those who are in need. And this year, our goal is to raise $50,000 on top of what we are already doing all year. Now, I know that is a big number, but I really think we can do something incredible together. So quickly, here are the four projects that we are getting behind uh, with this initiative. First, a new four-year post-secondary scholarship for a young mom finishing her high school diploma across the street from our Kensington Parish at Louise Dane School. And second is an expanded collection of local agencies in Kensington and now in, in-, in Inglewood. And third is our ongoing efforts of generosity and local aid for those in the commons community as well as those outside of our community our na- neighborhoods. And finally, another round of fundraising for our refugee resettlement efforts in the city. Now, if you saw the news this week, then you know that our newest family arrived in Calgary this week. This is Nagat and her four children that arrived here from Sudan. And our teams have already been hard at work at getting them settled in. So for all of these initiatives, to get behind them, you can head to commonschurch advent to contribute. Now, this is a season where this community has been so generous in the past. And so I actually want to take a moment to thank you in advance for the generosity that I know all of us are going to be a part of to make uh, this big initiative happen. So today, we are going to finish up our series on Joseph. And I have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker. His name is John Van Sloten. And he is a local writer and member of our community. So would you uh, put your hands together and give him a warm welcome as he comes to the stage.
0: Thanks, Kevin. A bit more of an intro. My uh, family and I have been attending intermittently uh, Commons, mostly Kensington Commons, for the past 18 months. Before that, I pastored a church for 22 years. That was for most of the time called New Hope Church. Um, I do a bit of teaching at Ambrose Seminary, write a few books yada yada yada. Um, My passion, my heart, my calling is all about engaging God's presence in the world. God's already moving by the power of the Spirit in sovereign, providential ways. Presence, naming where that's happening, in all kinds of places in the world. And so my first book was about God and pop culture, the second one about God and work, every job a parable on the back table there, in case you want to borrow it. And uh, just wrote a book on faith and science. But it's the same message every time, that God is present in all these places. Okay, over the past two months, we've talked about this Joseph story a lot. And what I have loved most about it is the mysterious, invisible hand of God that you can see moving through Joseph's life events, uh, through the whole story. Things that they turned out the way they did, it's really, truly miraculous. His brothers could have murdered him and, you know, did what they wanted to do because of his self-centered preening and dreaming, were it not for Reuben's conscience being raised up. And they might have left him in that pit that they threw him in to die were it not for that caravan that just happened to be coming by and Judah having the idea to, hey, let's sell our brother instead. And Joseph could have ended up somewhere other than Egypt or gotten a job that didn't leave him naked and imprisoned, where he might have then missed bumping into Pharaoh's cupbearer and then missed out on the chance to do some dream interpretation for Pharaoh himself. Or he could have got the dream wrong, or Pharaoh could have not agreed with his interpretation of the dream, which then would have left so many souls starving and vulnerable. And what if Joseph didn't end up with that job as the chief wheat dealer for Egypt and for Pharaoh? How would his brothers have ever serendipitously, as we're going to hear, bumped into him when they went to Egypt to buy food? And then, in the conclusion of this story that we'll hear this morning, how could all of the beauty of the healing and restoration that happens between Joseph and his brothers and his dad have happened were it not for things playing out exactly the way they did? And what I really love about the story is how Joseph, at first he was just blind to God moving in his life, or seemingly so, But through a whole series of events, he eventually becomes more and more aware that this is God moving in his life. This is God who's put him in the place he's put him. This is God who's working through him to save a lot of souls. Okay, before we get into the story for today, a short prayer. Almighty God, as we enter mystically, enter into this ancient Hebrew story, open our eyes so that we can see you in your glory. Soften our hearts and kindle our imaginations so that we can come to know you through this beautiful ending to Joseph's story. And use this story to shape ours. Show us your face, And make this moment here this morning through these words, this story real, we pray. Amen. Okay, so this last part of the story, Genesis 42 to 45, it's a big, big chunk. Thanks for the long assignment, Jeremy and Scott. I'm going to read some chunks of the big chunk of story and let the story do its work because it's just so eloquent and good and gotcha, kind of good. Um, So, listen to big chunks of the story and then some excursus commentary as we go through. Okay, the context simply is that there's a huge famine in the land, and this plays out. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers, the ones who sold them, went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, the youngest, Joseph's full brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now Joseph was the governor of the land of Egypt, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground, and as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he asked. "'From the land of Canaan,' they replied, "'to buy food.' And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him." And then Joseph remembered the dream, his dreams about them. He had all these dreams about them bowing down to him one day in his life. And he said to his brothers, You are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. And no, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. Your servants were twelve brothers, the son of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. And Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. And if you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies." And you're dead. And then he put him into custody for three days. Now, were I Joseph, it's understandable that he'd want to put the screws to his brothers the way he is, given what they did to him. You cannot let behavior like that go, can you? I mean, they sold him. Sold him. And if you've ever been sold out, then you know what that feels like. The unfairness, the rejection. The disregard, the feeling of being abused, not seen. I mean, these guys, these brothers needed to own up for what they did. And so Joseph tests them, not to really see if they were spies or not, but to see if their hearts had changed. Maybe three days in their own pit will help spark their memories along with yet another journey back home to dad, one brother short. So on the third day, Joseph said to his brothers, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay. Let one of your brothers stay here in prison, and the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. So this they proceeded to do. And leaving, the brothers turned to each other and said, Surely we are being punished because of our brother Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he was pleading with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress is coming on us. And it was like God was shining a huge light on all of them, on what they did, exposing the sin and the culpability of their actions. And then Reuben, one of the brothers replied, And there's always a Reuben in the crowd. Didn't I tell you not to do that against the boy? But you wouldn't listen, and now we must give an accounting for his blood. And I think, good half excuse, Reuben, as you let your brothers sell your brother anyway, and stood there, and surely you, as a Hebrew man saturated in Hebrew theology, would know that words without actions mean nothing. And this is on you too, Reuben. Because, Reuben, what hurts the victim most is not the cruelty of the oppressor, but the silence of the bystander. So then Joseph gave orders to fill the brothers' bags with grain and to put each man's silver, what they were using to pay for the food, back into their sacks and to give them provisions for the journey. And after this was done for them they loaded their grain onto their donkeys and left Joseph was setting them up planting evidence for a false crime so that maybe they could come to understand the true crime that they'd committed And at the place where the brothers stopped for the night one of them opened a sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack And said, my silver has been returned. And he said to his brothers, here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? And when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. Well, except the part about the silver being found in their sacks and the realization that that was surely as a result of them selling their brother and passing him off as dead and lying to their father. They told him everything but that. I mean, why give Jacob more than he can handle? Surely he doesn't have to know how deep of a pit his boys are in. I mean, does anybody really have to know that part of your life or my life, that that little bit of history or that thought? Way deep down inside of you. But the brothers got found out. As the brothers were emptying their sacks in front of their father, there each man's sack and his pouch of silver fell out. And when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. And their father Jacob said to them, You've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon, the one who got left back in Egypt, is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. And then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust Benjamin to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one left. Ouch! Seems these brothers are still second best in their dad's eyes, which is what caused the whole problem in the first place. I mean, even after getting rid of Joseph, and so clearly violence or trying to over-manipulate or control the situation to make it work out for you when it comes to love, it it doesn't work. You can't force or steal or merit love. Love can only be freely given and freely received. And there's no ditching your brother that's gonna change that reality. Nor is all of your striving to fit in or to feel like you got a place or to matter or to get the love of a parent or friends or a community. I and mean, you think about all the times you tried to make that happen and maybe for a while, but then you can't force love. But then the famine got worse and the brothers had to go back to Egypt, which then led another brother, Judah, to say... To Jacob, send the boy along with me, Benjamin, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may not may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you, Father, for all of my life. And here finally through somebody getting real and honest and genuine, some sense of accountability, a self-sacrificing spirit enters into the story. And the brothers head down to Egypt with Benjamin, and when they arrive, Joseph invites them to lunch, and there he asks, surprisingly, how's your aged father, the one you told me about? Is he still living? Yes, they said. And then looking at Benjamin, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And then he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And then deeply moved at the sight of his brothers, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and he wept there. And the brothers are freaking out. They don't know what's happening. They were so afraid, they couldn't even begin to imagine why Joseph was asking those caring questions about their dad, or was so kind to bless Benjamin, which is how fear works. It blinds us to God's goodness right in front of us. And when Joseph begins to lose it right in front of them, what, what did they think? He was insane? He was crazy? He was having a bad day. They could not see the big-hearted, softening love of God that was beginning to rise up in the heart of this Egyptian leader to tears. Sometimes God, right in front of us, in front of you, loves you, to tears even if you're hiding a dark secret, even if you've done something horrible this week. And he'll do anything to help you see that truth for what it is and to own it so that reconciliation can happen. And you can see his face and his heart again. Then the next day, because it worked the first time, Joseph does the whole silver trick again with the boys, only this time he puts the royal silver cup into his brother Benjamin's bag. And as morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys, and they had not gone far from the city. When Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch them, tell them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. So the servant went after them, and he gave his spiel, and the brothers didn't know what to do. At this, they tore their clothes. And when they got back to the royal palace, Judah said to Joseph, what can we say to my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now your slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph, continuing to tighten the screws, said, Far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup, Benjamin, will become my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. And it just keeps getting worse for these guys. And the light is brighter and brighter. And they're caged in. And losing Benjamin would kill their father. The most dishonorable thing they could do. God has so exposed their culpability that they cannot move. No more latitude for forgetting about it or denial. No dark psychological corner to hide in anymore. And this I have learned, I've really learned over the last 18 months, is how God sometimes works in our lives. He causes our sins and the things that we ought to be culpable for to be so obvious that we can't but know that God sees everything all the time. Everything you've ever done, I've done and thought and think. And like those brothers, I don't know, maybe you guys have got it figured out in this church, but I will do anything to avoid seeing that part of my heart. Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his or her own heart? Jesus once said, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. This is, under the lights, who I am. In the eyes of God, who we are. We live in a part of the world that overconsumes to the point of creating environmental chaos. We hoard. We supply arms to regimes that engage in wars that exacerbate famines that lead to the starvation deaths of children in Yemen. We gossip all the time. We mercilessly judge others because of their gender, orientation, race, economic status, education, age, theology, politics, or style. We covet all the time. Did you guys have a good... good Friday, what was it called? Black Friday. Didn't notice it, actually. We can't stop lusting for things that aren't ours, for inordinate attention or elevated position or other people's great coats. When I hear that list, I know now what culpability feels like. This very uncomfortable part of the Joseph story wakes us up to the truth of how important it is to own up to who we are and what we've done. The good, certainly the good. God's good in us. The bad and the ugly. Not so that we will be driven into the ground by the thumb of God who wants nothing more than to ruin your life for eternity. But so that we will turn and be saved and changed and transformed and made new. Back to the story. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, If the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. So now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers." How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And finally, someone does what it takes to resolve the conflict and said, I'll bear the the blame. Let me be the slave. Let me pay the price. Let the boy go free. And that is what selflessness born out of genuine culpability looks like. This act of Judah is the spirit of Jesus Christ moving in the heart of his ancestor, making him human again and reintegrating his heart and life and restoring him into God's selfless do unto others, lay down your life for people image. Here, Judah is standing in the gap in this hugely self-sacrificial way that is very much a Christ-like way. And you've experienced it in your life, those moments where somebody has really hurt you and then after a time, they come to you and they apologize and you know it's real and it's not just for them to get off the hook. They really are naming what they did and pouring out their heart to you. And in that moment, because you know it's real, your heart softens, and and you let it in. And it's like a wall comes down. And you both see each other with new eyes. They're human again. And not surprisingly, so are you. I mean, that's the reconciliation story that Jesus' grace and forgiveness is all about. That's God's new way to reconcile all things, you and I, and everything to himself, to enable us to fully be. So then at this pinnacle moment of the story, when Joseph is faced with the selfless love of God pouring out of his brother like this, the dam breaks. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. God says to you, come close to me. He says to us, come close to me. And when they'd done so, Joseph said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing or, or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, mystery of mysteries, but God. God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And then Joseph tells them to go and get their father and come back and make a home here in Egypt. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping, his full brother Benjamin. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them and after his brothers talked with him, afterwards his brothers talked with him. And when the news of that whole thing played out, it was such a good news story that Pharaoh wanted to get in on it. And so he says, send them back, but take all of these carts and take all of these treasures and, and bring everybody back from your nation and your tribe. And here we're going to put you in this choice piece of Egypt to have a home for the years that, that lie ahead. And Pharaoh just couldn't help but want to give them everything in response to his... Joseph's finding his family again. Never mind about your belongings, he said, because all the best of Egypt will be yours. And that's kind of what happens in our faith stories too. In Christ, all the best of God's new clothes replace dirty rags and security replaces brokenness and we get a new home and a new name and a new land and a new chance and a new eternal life and so much more than enough. And so all of the brothers went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob and told him, Joseph is alive. In fact, he's the ruler of Egypt. Imagine Jacob hearing this. And Jacob was stunned and he did not believe them. But when they told him everything that Joseph had said to them and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And this is the challenge with resurrection stories. They are... Stunningly impossible to believe until we believe in them. And this is our story as a Christian faith community that Jesus did resurrect and is alive. And the calling that we just read to us is that we should all see him before we die. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all stories, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I form the light, says God through the prophet Isaiah, and create darkness I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And in that amazing moment where Joseph does his reveal to his brothers, all that is true in those two Bible verses comes together. Every circumstance in Joseph's life and in your life and in my life was created mysteriously and don't understand the brokenness and why it has to be there and why it happens, but created mysteriously in, through, and for Christ. And somehow God works for good things that seem like terribly bad detours in order to accomplish his redemptive plan. Every part of your life's story and your story right now and what your story will be Was created in, through, and for Christ. And through all of it, like I said in my intro, I think you can know that. I think there's an instoried at work, at play, in family, in love, in suffering, knowing of the presence of Christ that God wants us to have, that calls us, God calls us into. And in that amazing place where divine mercy meets human culpability, I think God wants to say to you that I see you and I forgive you and I've got you and this is my name, this is who I am and there is nothing that can separate you from my love now and forevermore. Let's pray. So, God, let these truths about this story um, find a, a very deep and lasting place in each of us. Remind us by your spirit this afternoon, tonight, this week, at work, with our families, with our friends, in the quiet, in the pain, in the joy of your sovereign, providential, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you presence. And may, knowing you in that place, even though it may not fix everything, be enough to know that we're held, we're seen, we're loved, we're known. By your spirit, cause that to happen in each and all of us this week, we pray. In the name of the
1: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.